Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. We are going to hear a testimony from Joel and Angela Shannon, and I'm excited about that. Uh, the first part of it is all pre-recorded. We're going to show it. And then Joel and Angela are here in person, and I'm going to invite them up after we show this video, and we'll have a few questions for them based on their life stories. So let's go to that video now. Hi there. My name is Joel Shannon, husband of Angela Shannon. Uh, I'm married to Joel, and we have three kids. We live in Portapic and have been part of FBC for 15 or 16 years. I grew up in a Christian home. We went to church twice on Sundays, Juana when I was young, youth group in high school. Uh, our family was poor, but I never once worried about clothing or food. My parents did what they could and always provided what we needed. I was born in Churro to loving parents who provided a stable environment for my brother and I to grow up in. For as long as I can remember, I was surrounded by a Christian community. I went to Christian school, a lot of church gatherings every week. I would describe my religious upbringing as somewhat legalistic. Things like prayer and reading the Bible were KPIs, or key performance indicators, for those of you in the business world. Focus wasn't on character or relationships, and it didn't change anything inside. And although I could spout off the correct answers to lots of Bible questions, I didn't really understand what making a choice to follow Jesus actually meant. I spent my high school years, like many people, hanging out with friends, playing sports, and waiting for weekends and summers. Around the age of 10, my mom and dad decided that they wanted to head off to Bible school in New Brunswick. So they packed, they sold their home and packed all our belongings into a Chevette and a trailer, and off we went. Went to NVBI, and one year turned into four. NVBI was in the lines of my upbringing. Bible study and prayer were the keys to a successful Christian life, with evangelism, clean living, and church attendance as pillars of the faith. Also went off to Bible school. I did really enjoy it there. The atmosphere was a good atmosphere to be in. Uh, I had a chance to meet a lot of like-minded people, and I did appreciate what I was studying. My fourth year was spent interning at Grace Baptist and PEI and Christian Education course. Uh, NBBI fashioned deep friendships, ones you could pick up after many years where you left off. So I chose to focus my fourth year on counseling and ended up in Omaha, Nebraska, of all places. In Omaha, there was a rescue mission that provided temporary shelter to men, women, and children who found themselves without a place to live for various reasons. They also had a one-year program for men and women who struggled with addiction. At this point in my life, I was around the age of 21. I had lived in rural Nova Scotia and New Brunswick. I had a fairly protected upbringing. So living in that environment was a giant eye-opener. I didn't feel overly confident I could offer them much, but I spent a lot of time just listening to their stories, just hanging out with them and trying to point them to the love of Jesus as much as I understood how at that point. I spent the summer after that in Nebraska helping to run a children's program for the homeless along many of my classmates from MEBI. It was there that Ange and I began our relationship, and by the end of the summer, 
I knew we would be married. I, Joel and I had already known each other. We had spent all three years at Bible school together. But that summer, we got to know each other a lot better. We spent a lot of time together. We spent, like, literally hours and hours and hours talking. It seemed like we never could run out of things to discuss. I went to Briarcrest that fall, and she stayed in Truro. That was my first taste of the wider body of Christ, people from all denominations together in a melting pot. And it was my, the, first, the introduction of a bunch of different ideas that didn't fit my understanding of the Bible. Looking back, I think it was at that point I began to question some of the beliefs I'd been born into. Later years, this would morph into the view, all truth is indeed part of God's kingdom. After that semester, I ran out of student loan money and couldn't go back. I've come to learn a budget is one of the better ways to avoid undue stress and hardship in life. I had to apply for more loans and chose to do correspondence courses through Briarcrest at my parents' home. It was here I had my first of several experiences with depression and anxiety. I think it was when God began to remove my defenses to allow me to be open to his mercy and goodness. Depression was something new to me, and I didn't know how to cope. My days were a struggle to be motivated. I found myself staying up late and sleeping in way too late. Joy seemed to be sucked out of me. I remember being ashamed to admit these things. My life to this point had been mostly worry-free, fairly joyful, carefree. Felt like a failure for not being able to shake it off. Ange helped me through, through all this by helping make making schedule for my days, which included a lot of outside time. Creation's always spoken to me, kind of calmed my soul. And the fresh air and the exercise just is good for the body. I wanted to have my own apartment and have a regular job, so I started to work at the Royal Bank and at the Chow family to make ends meet. And it was during this time I asked Ange to marry me. Nothing about this was a surprise, only the occasion of it. The next summer, Joel and I did get married. That was 1999. During this time, she was a huge encouragement. Not really just during this time. She's always been a huge encouragement. And we planned our future together. Our wedding would be at the end of the summer. and would be a frugal event surrounded by family and friends. A few months before we got married, we discovered that there was a vineyard church in Truro which piqued our curiosity. We met so many loving, kind, joyful people who wanted to follow Jesus and weren't ashamed to express, express their passion for him. They were honest and actually talked about their struggles. It was a very different environment than I had experienced up until that point. It was the place where I began to know Jesus. In John 5.37, Jesus said the religious leaders had never heard God despite all their lives devoted to the knowledge of Scripture. This was me. I had grown up around Christian culture, but had not known the man at the heart of it. I believed the right things and said the right things, but had missed the point. John 17.3 says the way to have eternal life is to know God and Jesus Christ. Uh, the word know in this, this verse means an experiential knowledge, like a wife knows a husband. I'd grown up in a Christian environment, gone to Bible school for several years, yet I had no, <laughs> no love in my heart for Jesus, and, had, and I had never worshipped him before. 
God opened my eyes to his love and acceptance for me. I learned that the message of hope Jesus brought wasn't just that we get to jet out of here and experience heaven when we die. It was that the kingdom of God was available for me to experience now. The love, joy, and peace that Jesus brought was something I could experience in the midst of a broken world. His invitation to me was to become his follower and live according to the values of his kingdom, which operates very differently than what we see around us. I learned that God wants to be known to me in my everyday, just like he was known to so many ordinary people in the Bible. I learned that as I spend time with him, he will bring change to my character, which will in turn take care of my outward behavior. I learned to worship God more freely, that it's okay to allow my emotions to come out in response to his goodness to me. Being part of the vineyard was my first introduction to the wider body of Christ, one I never really knew existed until then. And the thing that struck me was the worship leaders seemed to be worshiping as they were leading, not just leading some music. You could tell they loved God by the way they were singing. It was just an expression of their love as they sang. Many times I couldn't sing as I was struck by the amazing God I was served. Although I didn't realize it at the time, Joel and I were essentially discipled by a couple in leadership there. They had us into their home a lot. Just spending time with us, they often prayed for us, speaking truth and blessing over us. And we were taught how to pray for others. We'd ask questions, ask more questions to clarify, ask if you could lay hands on the person as you pray. Ask God to show you things as you pray. Keep your eyes open as you pray for someone, just in case God shows you something. Much of this was just learning to hear God speak in the still small voice. And many times I'd be choked up as I prayed for somebody. It takes something like courage or desperation or coming to the realization you can't do it all yourself. To admit when you need prayer and to be prayed for. It's also a beautiful thing to pray for somebody, to step in, place your hands on someone's shoulder, and ask God to bless them. Our time there forever changed my understanding of who God is and how he wants to relate to me. I am so grateful that we allowed ourselves to be curious and step through those doors. Uh, Dale and Adrian would have us over to their house for you know, a meal and games and, and conversation on a regular basis. One thing they always did was pray for us before we left. They would just lay their hand on our shoulder and, and bless us. Small groups was another thing. Much like groups here, there's coffee or tea, some type of snack, uh, worship songs usually led with guitar, some sharing, some Bible study, and then prayer. I know it was some time while attending our first group that Angie and I made a pact never to discuss anything that would make, make, make each other not go to group. There was always some malady or tiredness or ache. This is a habit we would continue up to the present day. Satan knows how crucial these close communities are to spiritual growth. Small groups are something we've always chosen to be involved in. It's really just a small-scale gathering of the church, a place where you can use your spiritual gifts without fear, feeling inadequate, or being judged. It's a per perfect forum to get used to leading worship, teaching, sharing, sharing what God has done, praying for others, and meeting needs together. They're probably the primary place where I have developed my spiritual gifts, and they're a safe place to fail, especially being around people that want the best for you. 
After three years at the vineyard, we left to work as foster parents in Portland, Maine. Looking back, I think we were tired of the slog of real life and wanted some adventure. Sometimes I wonder what would have happened if we stayed and worked through our restlessness and sought God in the midst of it all. We worked for foster parents for children of the state, looking after two high-needs teens. It was a challenge for me to jump into this role of confronting bad behavior and doling out consequences. It was a crash course in parenting out-of-control children. I'm glad kids don't come out of the womb that way. God used it to prepare me for wanting children of my own, ironically, and for being able to speak up and interject when I needed to. We were able to love some unlovable kids for a season. One of the things it also taught us was the need for community. We could only go to church gatherings once every two weeks, and we couldn't go to small groups. Actually, the one time we did, Ange got attacked by one of the kids in the bathroom and it was a mess. So (laughs) Uh, that's another story in itself. After being so close in the community before this time, uh, we slow, it felt like you slowly withered up. Time off was spent shopping and binging on cable TV. I don't know if you remember the show Trading Spaces, but we probably watched every episode of it. Uh, but it provided a poor substitute for what we used to have. After we returned to Truro, we attended four different church communities over the next three years. We were involved in small groups when we could. Uh, Some we left for distance reasons. We were just traveling too far to maintain community. Some didn't align with what we thought were important things to us. Sometimes you expect everything to live up to something you experienced before. The good old days, as they say. I now think that's a trap the devil can use to keep you discontented and from taking responsibility for our lives and decisions. And at some point along the way, we did end up moving out to Portapic. We were traveling back and forth to Halifax and that just seemed kind of silly. So we wanted to get to know people in our own community. So we started coming to FBC, which was about 15 or 16 years ago. I started to work at Sobey's Warehouse in the fall of 2004. My sister died the week I started there. I was the oldest of nine, and she was born second. I treated her poorly growing up. However, after I attended Bible school, our relationship began to change. We would talk on the phone several times a year, and our relationship seemed to be healing. Her death was a shock as well as circumstances. I remember grieving for a week and then promising myself I would live differently. This proved to be a motivator for some time. However, like many things in life, memories begin to fade and resolutions dim in the rearview mirror of life. Unless change is at the heart level, it just, it just does not last no matter how hard we try. Joel has worked at the same place, we've lived in the same house, and I've stayed at home most of the time with my kids. But God has taught me many things during this stage of my life, so I'm just going to highlight a few. One is that we need each other. We're not meant to journey alone. Working at the Sobeys Warehouse was a change. Warehouse life is rougher around the edges than most environments. The work is harder, the shift's not as great, and the language is harsher. I made it a point to work hard, be helpful, and to be kind to those who were not kind to me, and to work with integrity. It's one thing to go to Bible school or on a short-term mission as a follower of Jesus, and a whole different thing to follow Jesus year after year in a male-dominated environment measured on speed and quality of work. 
We made the decision to be involved in a church body in our community, Faith Baptist. We have attended many different small groups that met our needs schedule-wise and have been part of our current group for what Ange tells me, seven years. It's a blessing to go through life with people you trust and care about who also want to grow towards being more like Jesus. I couldn't imagine life without these amazing people, and I'm grateful for all that we have learned over the last several years. Sunday morning gatherings are lovely. Um, I really enjoy gathering together in a large group and worshiping, but they're not really designed to be a place where we can share our lives with each other. Small groups have become a place where we can share about what God's teaching us in our everyday. We can be honest about our struggles with each other. I've learned I'm not so great about sharing my own struggles, but I'm learning it is important to be vulnerable with people that we trust. We are meant to carry one another's burdens, but that requires us to be willing to share our own. Along the way, uh, Joel and I had to go to separate groups. His work schedule was kind of wonky, and uh, but we still tried to make it a priority. There were times when we had to pay for babysitters, but we forked out the money because we felt it was important. I feel like being part of small group and learning to live in community is essential to my growth. Jesus is the smartest man who ever lived. Take any profession out there, and he knows more about it than anybody does. Go to him with your questions first. I remember rushing around and preparing for a food safety audit at work, and I remember wondering how in the world it was going to get done. I just took a few moments to pray, and just in my mind was the solution. It saved me many hours of work and stress. Like Dallas Willard says, learn to trust him for a sandwich and work your way to it to trusting him for eternal life. Uh, probably most of you know that we are a homeschooling family at present and have been at it for about 11 years. It sort of happened last minute when we realized Joel's work schedule would only allow him to see the kids on the weekends when they were in school. It was important for him to have a more active role in his kids' lives, so we made the decision to homeschool. I am not a trained teacher. Truthfully, I didn't even know the world had seven continents when we started, but I figured I was starting in primary, so surely I could learn that. I learned very early on that not everyone agreed with our decision. I did work hard to manage those doubts from people trying to explain and get them to agree. My job wasn't to convince them I was doing the right thing. My job was just to be faithful to what I felt God wanted me to do. Thankfully, God helped us find a large, active homeschooling community that we could figure this out with. A second thing I've learned is make changes in your life that allow you to be changed. Practicing the, the Sabbath, solitude, fasting, study, community, and reading good books. It made changes in our lives to institute disciplines that change our bad habits into good ones. Often, this has meant less time for other things question you have to ask yourself is, what kind of life do you want? We have practiced the Sabbath for several years now. Uh, we aren't legalistic about it. doesn't it do anything to curry favor with God. It's wisdom and the best way to live is set forth in the Bible. It has allowed us to rest and taught us to trust that God can look after whatever else needs to be accomplished in the remaining six days. Try it yourself. Go ahead. I dare you. In James 1, verses 5 and 6. And this is what they say. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in him alone. 
I certainly didn't always have unwavering faith. There were times when all I could see were the challenges and my own inadequacies. I would forget that his power actually works best in weakness. But he reassures me that he will provide what I need today. I don't know all that will be around the corner, but he tells me that he will be there to provide what I need then. God will never force you to change your mind. That's one thing you've been given say over in your life. So read things that challenge you. Don't be afraid to listen to other opinions. Mull things over and ask God what is true. Ask him to show you. The world is very noisy, very busy, and there's so much distraction as well as my never-ending to-do list. I do think I'm learning, though, that God's voice is usually spoken to us in a still small one. I believe we have to create space in our lives to hear it. To be honest, I've never been consistent with Bible reading and prayer in my own personal life. I have truly carried a lot of guilt over the years for not being good at establishing those habits. But thankfully, God has changed my perspective on these and other spiritual disciplines. I understood them as boxes to be checked. If I could just check the boxes, that somehow satisfied my requirements. They also seemed like a heavy yoke, practices added onto all the other things I had to do. But God has given me a new understanding, and I see them in a new light. I see them now as an invitation to life with God. I see them as a way of creating space in my life for God to change me. I know my best life is life with God, but if I can't slow down long enough to listen to him, how do I expect to share my life with him? Is raising your children is likely the greatest work you'll ever do for the kingdom. We have made decisions not to be involved in too much, to restrict screen time, and to do things as a family that strengthen our bonds. We have boundaries and chores. We try to encourage and be involved in what our kids are drawn to. I've made plenty of mistakes, but my children know I love them greatly. Something I did last spring, God pressed on my mind to do an airsoft war every month with my boys and their friends. Despite having heaps of things to do in my life, it was one of the best bonding times. When COVID started and our schedules all of a sudden were wide open, I jumped at the chance to start making time with God a daily priority. Normally my mornings are filled with all sorts of tasks. I could get a lot done before the kids woke up, but I knew that if I didn't make time to sit with God first thing in the morning, the chance of it happening at another point was very slim. So I had to make the decision to set other tasks aside, and then I used that time to read my Bible, to talk to God, to memorize scripture, to take time just to listen, to hear what God wanted to say to me, to meditate on verses that stood out to me, and to pray for people in my life. I want God's words of life to start my day. I want to create a space where he can reorient me. All those things that I felt were so important that I had to do in the mornings, well, I haven't really noticed that they aren't getting done. God has helped me still accomplish what I need to, and he's also helped me let go of unnecessary activities that he wasn't asking me to do anyway. God's not just concerned about the little bits we call ministry. He wants all of it and is there to help us through all of it. Jesus wants us to be free of worry and stress and can give us peace and help us change our habits. I remember having what I now know as a panic attack, lying in my entryway trying to compose my breathing after telling Ange I might need to call 911. Most of this was rooted in worry over my health and not being able to control it. Took lots of time and changes in my life to be mostly worry, free of worry and stress, but I believe it can be done. First John 2.6 reads that those who say they live in God should live their life as Christ did. 
All these practices I've come to see as life-giving, not rules I have to do, but gifts, invitations to experience the freedom God has for me, invitations to not get caught up in the craziness and busyness of life, invitations to slow down and accept his gift of rest. God in his goodness ran after me and has changed my life. My days are full and most often, more often than not, filled with peace. I don't desire to live a life of hurry, but to live life as Jesus did. So I'll continue to learn and practice how. They're found in Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord, who have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They shall be like trees planted by the riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. They are not bothered by the heat or worried by long periods of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. Thank you, Joel and Angela. I'm going to invite you to come now. I apologize for how like cut and rigid that was, but you guys had so much good content in there, I didn't know what to cut and what to keep, so we just tried to keep all of it. <laughs> this is for you. I've got a few questions for you, but I really want to thank you for sharing your story, being open and candid, sharing some humor, some joys, some struggles, because um, we all experience those things. But I've got some questions for you. Omaha, Nebraska, what's that like? Farm country? Well, it was oppressively humid, flat, uh, lots of thunderstorms. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> I just love two kids from the Maritimes and the love story in yeah. Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah, who, who knew, right? Of all places, yeah. as you said. Um, I really resonated with your story because uh, you both grew up PKs, Bible school, you knew all the answers, but you talked about how it, it didn't really affect heart change until later on in your life. Do you think that is something that a lot of Christians these days fall into, the, the head knowledge category of Christianity? I, I think it's an easy thing to do is to, I don't know, divorce what we say we believe from what, how we actually live. Um, it's easy for me to say I trust God, but what does that actually look like in my life? Like, yeah. what do I trust him with? Do I trust him with my children? Do I trust him with my work? Do I trust him, you know? I was at Chainsaw the other day, and I, I prayed because there's there's a, a tree that was on a tree that would hit my tree house and mm. I couldn't figure how to, how to get the cha the the tree down. I've chainsawed quite a few hours. And I I had to take a moment and and pray, and then God showed me where to chop the tree. I I didn't know otherwise, and I don't know it fell and missed our fruit trees in our tree house. <laughs> <laughs> Praise God. But. But it's little things like that, I think, that require trust in yeah. our lives. It's easy for me to say that I trust God, but not to trust him in all those little things. Mm, I love yeah. the Dallas Willard quote, yeah. being willing to trust God with a sandwich and then with eternal life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Um, you guys talked about small groups in your story and life groups. Um, what would you say to somebody who's not currently involved in a small group? What are they missing out on? should they get into a small group? <laughs> uh, 
um, yeah, I think, I think everybody could benefit from <laughs> being part of a community. You know, I think small groups and the regular practice of it is helpful to make that happen. Um, I know that it sometimes can be scary to mm. be vulnerable with a smaller group of people. You can't really hide. You can come in here and sort of hide. Um, but yeah, but I think there's a lot of value in being willing to open up and, and share. And I mean, we all struggle. Yep. So we need a place that we can to share that with other people that we trust and have them pray for us and encourage us and, and, and do the same. You know, mm -hmm. I think some people don't think they have anything to offer. And you know, God's given all of us giftings and strengths and you know, when we choose not to be involved, I think the body as a whole misses out on what you have to bring to it. Yeah, yeah. Each piece fitted and joined yeah. together. I love that you said that you got to exercise and experience some of your spiritual gifts in the context of small groups. I think that's gold. Last question, then I'll let you go. I love that you're intentionally finding a slower gear in a busy, fast-paced, hurried society, intentionally making that decision. So what are some practical ways, what does that look like to slow down and enjoy time with your family and your kids? I'll go first. Well, one, one thing that we've done for the last, I don't know, five years is we do a Sabbath. Uh, that's looked different with my work schedule. I had Thursday, Fridays off, so Friday was our Sabbath before. But now we don't do any work on Saturday at supper time until Sunday at supper time. Mm -hmm. And we do stuff for rest, stuff that brings, I think the qualifier we, we say is stuff that brings life. So uh, reading books or going out in nature and um, playing board games and having a fire, those type of things, or, or visiting with people. That brings life. Eating good food, obviously. Yeah, yes. th those things. Those are things we slow down, and the kids know that's what we're gonna do. Screen time is very limited. We might watch a movie or something, but something we've done for years. Mm. And I have, like I was saying at, at group Thursday, I, I always have to fight, because I have all kinds of stuff to do, <laughs> right? I have wood to get, and I've got stuff to chainsaw and yeah. stuff that I, and I like doing that stuff. And it's always an urge to do that. I don't give in, but there's always that urge to be busy. Yeah. It's something we have to fight against. I will say that it was not easy for me to start that. Um, I'm kind of a task oriented person and mm -hmm. my to-do list is never, never ends. And so, um, at first, I, I struggled to know what to do. I think as a mom, sometimes we get in the mode of not doing things for ourselves. And so I had to figure out, you know, what do I find life-giving? I remember once sitting outside against a tree and like thinking, what am I going to do? <laughs> Everything I was used to doing was to be productive. Um, but... I, I've gotten used to it, and I do quite look forward to it. You know, we try to sleep in a little. We don't have small little kids anymore, and we have that uh, benefit. Um, and it isn't so much a challenge anymore. 
We try to just eat leftovers. We leave the plates on the counter. That took some getting used to. But everybody pitches no. in Sunday night and, and uh, helps to clean up. And it, I guess it's just been good to learn to trust that God will give us the, the time and the strength to do what he wants us to do in the other six days. Yeah. And just to enjoy the rest. Because I think it even says in um, the Old Testament that it was a gift to mm. the Israelites. You know, yeah. it wasn't meant to be a bunch of things you couldn't do. It was meant to be a chance to to recoup and rest. And I find that I'm really tired on Sundays. But I think it's because we stop. You know, when we're going, 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 we don't realize how tired we are. Tired we are. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. so... That's been really good, yeah. I think that's some awesome practical stuff that many of us can even take and apply this weekend. Easter weekend is a family-oriented weekend, right? So let's hear it for Joel and Angela. Thank you guys for sharing. Thank you so much. Personal testimonies are powerful, aren't they? I think uh, with our motto, share the journey, we should be willing to share our stories too. So uh, if you want to share your story, come talk to us. We want to hear your story. Mother's Day is coming. I have this dream to hear some stories from some mothers. Okay, so if you're a mother sitting here and God's pricking your heart, maybe it's time to share your story. Would love to talk to you afterwards. Um, what do you say? Do you say happy Good Friday? It's kind of odd, isn't it? You, you don't say merry Good Friday, right? Um, the, uh, the Bible app, the Uversion Bible app beat me to the punch. I've been preparing these notes. Honestly, I have. And then today the Bible app said exactly my title right here that I have written down. What's good about Good Friday? Have you ever wondered that? Like, why is it called Good Friday? Because the events of Good Friday in and of themselves aren't really that good, I don't think. Um... It's like when you come home from work and your spouse says, uh, did you have a good day, honey? Oh, did I have a good day? Well, let me see. My friend backstabbed me. Uh, another friend denied me. All the other people I thought cared about me just ran away. And then I was slandered, maligned, accused, and now I guess I've got the death sentence. So yeah, I'd say it was a good day. You wouldn't say that, right? That's weird. It's odd. Um, we need a better understanding of what is good. Elsie and I love the verse Romans 8, 28. And if you've been around church for any length of time, you probably know the verse. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good. Another version says that God works all things together for good. That means the highs, the lows, the joys, the sorrows, the sickness, the health, the COVID, the recovery, God works all these things together. Somehow, beyond my understanding, he works all these things together for good. How does he do that? You might remember our campaign last fall, Be a Good Human. Micah 6.8. Anybody remember it? Memorized it? He has shown you, oh man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. God gets to define what is good because God is good. You remember that first sermon that Steve preached back in September of last fall? God is good, and God defines what is good. He's the good father. 
Jesus is the good shepherd. Goodness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, from the Father of lights. He's the one who began the good work in you and will complete it. His plans are for your good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope, Jeremiah 29, 11. So if God is good, why is Good Friday good? Because on a surface level, all the events of Good Friday seem evil, don't they? I mean, you got Pilate, you've got Herod, the disciples deserted, Peter denied, Judas betrayed, Jesus is accused, he's arrested, he's led up the hill, Calvary to Golgotha, the rugged cross, the nails, the whips, the spear, the thorns, the suffocation, the death. How is that good? How are any of those things in and of themselves good? The New Testament tells us don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. So how can we call a day full of evil events Good Friday? And I think of uh, the story of Joseph. His brother sold him as a slave into Egypt, faked his death. He was remembered by God in slavery. He worked his way up in command in Potiphar's house. Then he was falsely accused. He was in prison. He was forgotten for years, but not forgotten by God. God had a plan for him. Second in charge of Egypt. He's rekindling his relationship and reconnecting with his brothers. And he has this famous line, what the enemy meant for evil, God turned for good. How does God do that? You know what? I think on Good Friday, Crucifixion Friday, the enemy thought that evil had won. And somehow, it was all in the plan of redemption and God turned what the enemy meant for evil to good. What if God's goodness was best seen in the hard, difficult things in life? Not necessarily the flowery, sunshiny, butterfly, good feeling spring days that we've been enjoying. What if God's goodness was best seen in the hard things in life? I just want to read one passage for you. I'm not going to preach it. I'm just going to read it. And then I want to say three things about it at the end. So I guess I'm going to preach it. But if you want to turn to Isaiah chapter 53, we're just going to go through all 12 verses. Isaiah 53 and verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised. He was rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs, he has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. Jesus was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, that peace that Joel was talking about. 
With his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 7, he was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? They made his grave with the wicked, with a rich man in his death. There's an interesting piece of prophecy. Although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. Verse 10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It pleased him to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. He shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death, was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. I just want to give you three reasons why Good Friday is actually good tonight on this Good Friday 2022. Number one, it's good because it satisfied the wrath of God. The theological term there is propitiation. God looked at Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Jesus said, it is finished. And God said, that's good. That's enough. It's taken care of. The price has been paid. The weight of our sin was placed upon him and it satisfied the wrath of God. Verse 10, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. The second reason it's good is because Jesus willingly sacrificed himself for us. The term there is volition. He volunteered. Jesus said, it's good. God's plan is good. Yet not my will, but thine be done. And as a lamb before its shearers is silent, Jesus didn't open his mouth. He could have defended himself. He could have talked circles around those guys. But he didn't. He opened not his mouth. He willingly took our place on the cross. And then reason number three why it's good is it's, it's good because it served a good purpose for us. It paid the price for our sin, a debt that we could not pay. He was pierced for our transgressions, for our iniquities. It brought us peace and we are healed because of his sacrifice in our place. This is the theological term justification. God declares us righteous. God says you're good. Because Jesus died in your place and you've received it through faith, the forgiveness of sins, now when God looks at you, you are washed clean, you are made right, and you are good. I just keep thinking of this song and I've learned if it's stuck in my mind, I just need to get it out. So I want you to sing it with me. It's only four words. I think it's an old hymn. It's been redone in recent years, but it goes like this, okay? God, you're so good. God, you're so good. 
God, you're so good. You're so good to me. Let's do it again. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. You're so good to me. Do you remember that song? God, we thank you for Good Friday. We thank you for your goodness. So much pain and so much suffering and so much evil on that day, it seemed like the devil was having his way. But little did he know he was shooting himself in the foot and he was fulfilling your plan of redemption for all of humanity. God, we thank you that Jesus willingly died on the cross and that his death paid the price for sin, satisfied the wrath of a righteous God against a sinful world. Thank you that by receiving his death in our place, we can have forgiveness of sins. We can be made right in your sight. We can be justified. We can be made new, made whole, healed. Thank you that you give us peace, peace with God the Father through Jesus Christ. God, as we participate in the Lord's table now at the end of this Good Friday service, Father, would you draw our thoughts, our hearts and our minds' attention to your son, his broken body, and his shed blood. In Jesus' name, amen.